to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be in uh, Daniel chapter 2 uh, this week. And as I said last week, we are going to we broke Jan- Daniel chapter 2 up into three different sections. Um, didn't plan on that uh, initially. I thought maybe two sections, um, but... Then I think you, hopefully you'll see uh, why we're kind of pausing on this aspect. Um, there's going to be several sections in Daniel that um, where we actually will cover the whole um, chapter just in one sitting. A couple of those kind of well-known stories. Uh, it's just a, a narrative that sweeps through. Um, but we're going to see today in Daniel this idea of God's covenant faithfulness that continues to be put to the test. Um, and so we're going to see that through the book uh, uh, of Daniel, um, it's not actually his, his faithfulness put to the test. It's the human experience of that being put to the test. Um, we're going to see um, God's greatness, God's very being, God's wisdom and power and might, all that led to, to God's reputation. Those are the things that Old Testament Israel knew about him. All of those things, his wisdom and might and power and glory, all of those things. And that shows and reveals a certain reputation, a track record, and that was God's faithfulness. Um, I believe God's, God wants us to see His covenant faithfulness first to Himself and His own glory. Um, that deserves scheduling time to pause and contemplate and praise Him for the glory that's due His name. So just, just God in Himself believes that just in who He is, in His own glory and greatness, deserves us to be able to pause and contemplate that. Now, that, that, that's an idea of Sabbath. So uh, we, we want to continue to emphasize this. I haven't really emphasized it a whole lot, um, but as in the next couple of years, probably you'll, you'll learn more about that. It's this idea of rest and Sabbath. And that doesn't mean necessarily, oh, we're going to emphasize rest. Let's buy some better recliners at Mathis Brothers and just kick back. That, that's not the idea of rest. It's the idea of not striving to perform to get God's attention or to get other people's uh, approval, but to rest in what God has done for us. And that, that's what this book of Daniel is showing us. God and just who He is. He provided all the grace beforehand. It's not that these trials hit life and then God has to show up. God was always uh, aware of what was going on. He was allowing things to happen so that we would realize how great God is. And so this idea of rest, we see God in the creation order that he gets to the seventh day. And what does he do? He, he stops. He looks back and sees that everything, everything is good, right? And so who does he praise on that? Does he praise the mountains? Does he praise the oceans? Does he, does he praise um, little bitty fish and amoebas down in uh, different uh, um, levels of the ocean? No, no, he, he goes, that was me. And he thinks that we should have that same mentality. And so uh, as we get to Daniel here, you're going to see a little bit of that rhythm. And so that should be something that we will um, learn how to do, this idea of rest and and trusting in him, just as we just sang. So uh, I believe that we have this tendency to quickly skip over 
beautiful, wonderful blessings and, and maybe even works that God has done in our life. And we take for granted just common graces and sometimes huge works of grace that maybe we've prayed for for a while. And then once it happens, we kind of just go, oh, oh man, I, I remember praying for that. Well, thanks. I mean, that's literally about all it gets. It, it's like, um, you know, when you see people that you, you may have experienced this, like getting a, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a new car, maybe it took months for you to finally decide on and get that car and you get it. Two weeks later, you're not as amazed by that car, right? There's not, there wasn't that longing that was there beforehand. You see it with kids. Like, so when they wanted, so, so for whatever reason, with, with kids, white shoes become popular again. That's nuts. White shoes are horrible for kids. And so, um, and then also, you know, Adidas just decided, just, hey, let's put a whole bunch of foam in the back of shoes. And they're going from 80 to 160. Just foam. 80 to 160. And, and, and so that hit, and, and, and you're like, why? So what does every other shoe do? Let's put foam on the back and take them from 80 to 160. And so in that, um, they want them, want them, want them. Our, our boys and all their friends. Um, they, I mean, you've got kids like 12 years old who know how to buy something at one store and s for 150 and sell it for 500 on the internet. Like, I don't even know. I, I can't do that. And so they're, they're doing these things. And so, but I, I know when they get the shoes, what happens a week later? Well, day two, our boys are like out in the creek in theirs. And so they're all muddy and torn up and all that stuff. But like a week later, guess what? Have you seen the new ones that come out? I'm like, a week. These should last two years. You know, like this, you pay that much, they should last this long. And so we, we quickly want something really bad. It gets provided for us. And now it's common. It's common. And in that, God Himself, if we're not careful, we treat Him as common. And so uh, I'm just submitting that, that for you to consider the question do we have a tendency to take for granted? All that God has done and also what God is doing right now. Not taking the time to pause, to remember, to contemplate, to give praise, to rest in God's goodness. Um, are we a people so distracted by that next thing, the next whatever, that we fail to appreciate and therefore we fail to love and praise God for who He is and what He's already done in our lives. And so last week we, we looked at this idea of, um, of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar having this dream. And if we go back before then, we saw in, in chapter 1 how God was wanting to set His name apart, set Himself apart. Um, God wanted His name, His fame name, to be put up, or, up there. Remember those first two verses? Jehoiakim. Well, the world in Israel definitely knew Jehoiakim, right? He's following in the lineage of, of David. So very well-known, famous, powerful, if you were just a commoner in Israel. But then Nebuchadnezzar. And so Assyria had already rolled in and destroyed the northern tribe. And then here comes Babylon coming in and destroying and, and taking off 10,000 people. And so um, in that, um, as they, they take off all these um, refugees, God puts his name in there. Remember what I said? God gave Judah. Powerful guy, Jehoiakim. Powerful guy, Nebuchadnezzar. And we, we learned about his name. And God goes, I've got it all under control. You want to talk about power? You want to talk about authority? I'm the one who did all this. And the whole book of Daniel is set up on that. It's kind of like Job, the secret that Job didn't get. <laughs> like, uh, hey, Satan, have you noticed Job? 
Like, Job doesn't get that part of the, the, the letter, does he? Like, he doesn't find that out until maybe later, if, if not after he passed away. And so um, we've seen God's name uh, being the thing that he wants to bring out. Four times in chapter 1, he said God gave. He was the main player. God is the main player. We said that as we go through Daniel, we want to make sure that we're not making Daniel some, some man that we look to and go, oh, I've got to be like Daniel, be like Daniel, be like Daniel. We don't walk, want people walking out of the service going, Daniel, what was Daniel like? What was Daniel like? What was Daniel like? No, we want people walking out of the service being amazed. Like, how did God do that? Why did God do that? That's amazing. And so we want people walking out thinking through that. Um, last week we saw Nebuchadnezzar. He became extremely troubled. He has this dream. And we asked that question, who even gave the dream to set up the whole scenario? Um, because take chapter 2 out. If God doesn't give the dream... Chapter 2 is pointless, right? So we know that Nebuchadnezzar, he has the dream, and then he, he comes to and says, hey, I need for all of you enchanters and all you sorcerers and all you soothsayers and all of these people that are having all this wisdom, you've got to tell me the dream and its interpretation or you're going to die. And so remember, we kind of see some, we saw some things about Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he threatens to kill all those sorcerers and Chaldeans, including Daniel and his boys. And we ask, so, so where is God when um, escalation of adversity happens? Where is God in the middle of, of our lives when escalation of adversity hits? Um, we ask, what do we tend to turn to? So for some of us, man, um, Jamie and I used to joke in Tahlequah, we started having kids, and they just it, it was three, but it seemed like ten. And so then you had church on Wednesday nights, and we had a lot of college students who had stuff going on. And then afterwards, we would just go, we'd already eaten, but we'd go to Sonic, because the boys would be kind of quiet in the back, and we'd go to Sonic. I bet we put on 15 pounds, we call it just emotional eating, because Wednesday nights we'd just go and get those Sonic blasts. I mean, it's this big, it had to be like 6,000 calories. And we would just sit, and like after your three or four you know, weeks, you're just getting bigger and bigger. And, and I, was, I was like, this is so wrong, but this feels so good. And so right there, it feels so much better than turning to God for your emotional displacement, right? You ever find yourself so food? It's a great one. Comfort. Um, some people, it's exercise. Some people, it's buying and spending. But So there are these things that, that we turn to when adversity hits. And God is standing there going, look to me in all those things. And he's not saying that having a blast is always idolatrous or, or working out or anything like that. But if your tendency is to always go to that, eight out of ten times, nine out of ten times, um, we need to be aware of that. So where do you run in adversity? And God's screaming through Daniel, it's me. Um, it, it's me that you need to turn to. Um, God shifts the language, and, and if you remember in, in chapter 2, verse 4, and then it goes all the way through to the end of chapter 7, where the language switches from Hebrew for, for all of Israel, because you know the Old Testament's written for Israel, and then um, it changes to Aramaic. And, and that was, in chapter 2, going out to the whole world, because that was the language of the world at that point. So uh, the, one of the, most, uh, the largest languages at the time. And so God was setting up situations where God alone would get the glory and the credit. Um, all of this fits in with our understanding that the Bible and all of history is just a very beautiful, rich, complex story uh, about God. And yes, it includes people in his creation, but, but God is the central figure. So we want to make sure that we're doing that as we go through Daniel. The focal point, God himself set apart creator. And despite man's choice, despite your choice, despite my choice, 
to displace his worth, looking to idols and other things for our happiness and joy. Also, not only looking to idols and other things, but also when he does do something, like I said at the beginning, we kind of go, oh yeah, thanks, and move on. What, what else do I want? And so not only do we not, um, we, we turn to other things sometimes, but we also don't really give him the praise and ongoing glory. And so God has kept covenant faithfulness. Not only our creator, but he reveals that he is our redeemer, our sustainer. And his redemptive plan throughout history is being revealed through Daniel. So, so when we get to Daniel chapter 2, after this escalating adversity, it gets worse and worse. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar has these death, threat that, death, death threats that go out. And the original audience, all the world had to see, how will God respond? What is God going to do in this situation? And God didn't want it just for Israel. He wanted the whole world to consider what would happen. This crazy, chaotic king. And so last week we saw this, if you, if you remember the verses. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Um, that, that's those guys that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember? And his, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And so, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Who did this? God. Who set up the dream? It was God. Um, and, and what I want you to see the difference in is we could make our Bible reading, so you're, when you're outside of church and you're doing your own Bible reading, uh, your own study times, your own um, quiet times, um, also our interpretation. We could make our interpretation. We could make our sermons, our worship services, a focus on what must I go do for God? What must I go do for God? Some of us have grown in church, grown up in churches where that was kind of the gist every Sunday is what should I go do now? Here's what the Bible says. It's a list of good morals. God will bring you salvation. Now go kill it for God. We could amaze God with how much we could do for him. We should just try to do that. So that's completely different than saying, man, what has God already done for his own glory? See the slight twist in focus? Is it me in my Bible reading? Is it my own life in my Bible reading, my devotion in our services, our sermons? Or are we walking away with this high view of God? Um, I could have titled this, Your Prayer Changes Your Destiny. Man, how many people need that? You want to get some clicks on Facebook, if we put our stuff on there, if you want to get people to, to come and check it out, your prayer can change your destiny. Well, I want to know what kind of prayer that is. I'm in control. I'm going to change it by my prayer, my destiny, um, all of those things versus, let's sit back and think through ascribing glory to God. Eh, eh, okay. Thanks, God. That, that's about what we do. And so that's not what's going on here. Daniel is taking the time. God inserted this prayer in here for us to see. This is the type of prayer that gives glory to God. So I want us to slow down because we skip over this insertion in Scripture of praise and worship, just like we do in our own lives, even when we feel assured that God has answered a specific prayer that was seemed against all, God, against all odds. Um, we want the good stories and then we want the helpful one, two, three steps of, of quick life point change. Life point change. We, we want that. We're not really satisfied with ju just God 
just God himself. So um, we're going to see here ascribing glory to God as a normal rhythm. And so I want you to think through that. Is that, is that what fits in my life? And so, so let's, let me pray and give thanks to God just for, just first of all, just his revelation to us, but also for his covenant faithfulness that we're doing and that we're going through and seeing here. So, Father, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you that you chose to self-reveal. We, we, we kind of assume, Father, we take for granted even that, that your word was your choice to self-reveal to us. We would be guessing and speculating if you hadn't given us your word about yourself, about what you're like, about your characteristics and your attributes, about what we're like compared to that. Um, we would be just relatively speaking all the time and guessing. So thank you for your word. We thank you also that your spirit gives us understanding, opens our eyes to see, gives us ears to hear and understand, and then has the power to enable and transform us as we behold you, not quick steps of change. And so thank you that it is reliant upon you. So let us be a people, as Jason prayed earlier, Father, that, that are seeking after you. Yes, we seek after you. Yes, we, we, we take spiritual discipline serious, but God, you're the, the giver. And so we come to you as the giver of good things, mainly yourself as the greatest thing that we could get. And so would you give us yourself this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. So reading here in uh, Daniel chapter 2, we're just going to cover 20 through 30 today. Um, and then the main gist of it being 20, uh, just those first voice, uh, verses of praise. So this is right after the mystery was, was revealed to Daniel, a vision in the night. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So here's what he says. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me? the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men or enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries, and he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. So that's, we're going to stop there. No, I'm sorry. We're going on 2930. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all of the living, 
but in order that the interpretation may be made known to, to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So the first thing we see there, um, um, Daniel starts out just saying, blessed, blessed be the name of God. And so um, a lot of times that um, word in the New Testament, um, I think it was Markarios, and it was, uh, so like if you think through the uh, Beatitudes, uh, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. So all of those things, and it's this word that is tied to happiness, joyful happiness. So it, and if you look at the Beatitudes and other places where that word in the New Testament is used, Arkarios, um, it, it's sometimes connected to something that's not real desirous, but it's this idea of um, objective happiness, even though subjectively your experience may be different, Right? And so something that's objectively different than, than necess- the, the subjective experience would, would normally or naturally lead to. And so um, he just starts out, and, and many times in the Bible it says this, blessed be. And so his term here, this is more in the Old Testament, it's this idea of this kneeling down and giving honor or praise. And so but notice what he says, blessed be the name of God. So the name of God, uh, it'd be great for you sometimes just do a study on God's name. Just go in and do a study, and you can, whether it's NIV or ESV or NASB or New King James, just go in and do a study on God's name. And you would be amazed how many times God's name is the thing, the name of God. And so um, he starts out saying, blessed be the name of God. So that refers to God's reputation, to, to God's renown, what he is known as in his being and what he is known for his work. So Isaiah 26, 8. So if many of you guys uh, grew up just this, uh, in the Passion, if anyone knows of Louis Giglio and the Passion generation. So uh, earlier this week, I was in Oklahoma City, and literally uh, every time I go up there, so uh, Charlie Hall, who is always one of the leaders of you know, 30,000, 40,000 things at those conferences, Charlie's just this guy, and he just, he just non-assuming, just comes up. He's like, hey, Sank, Charlie Hall. And, so, and every time I'm like, uh yeah, we've been watching you for like 20 years, lead like 30,000 people. And, and every time we talk to him, he's just, he's just amazed at God's glory. And so uh, the, the passion generation, um, um, the whole idea of that was based on Isaiah 26.8. Um, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, your truth, we wait for you. So just responding to God, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, in the way of your law, we wait for you. Does that fit your life? Are you a person that, that's so moving on, so quickly moving on to the next thing? Or, or are there times where you have rhythms built into your life and your day and your week where, where you could cry that out, knowing that it, it's you alone? Notice it says, we wait for you. Not we wait for the thing you're going to give us. We wait for you to do that next thing for us. That's a big blessing, but we wait for you. You alone. Not God and his benefits, just God alone. Your name and your renown, that is the desire of our hearts. So this area, think just apply that to this area. Is that we don't care about sojourn's name, we don't care about care about our names, but this area um, just like that, that big statue over at 21st and in, in, in Yale, uh, the big driller, we want God to just almost establish uh, that type of mentality in this area. Your name and your renown, that's what we're desiring. We're waiting on you to establish yourself 
as the mighty, powerful one. And the same with if that thing is, is a picture of that over there. We want God to do this in this area. We want God to do this for His name and for His renown. Notice how many times God refers to His name in the Scriptures. Um, Daniel says, this God, His reputation, it reveals wisdom and might. They belong to Him. Um, how many well-intentioned Christians or even churches, that we, we kind of flip this if we're not careful. Uh, we, we could make the emphasis on what God's doing in our life and the blessings, right? Uh, and we do. We, there's nothing wrong with that. We, we want God's blessings. Um, and so we, but we could make the focus on the blessings to us or our experience. Or, if you're not careful, churches will focus on ministry success, Right? Um, or even, even something that's really, really good that we would say, man, but we want that, like reaching lost people, right? I mean, that's a great goal. If you're in church planting or if you're a church, you want to see um, people reach for the kingdom, right? So those are great things. But if we're not careful, there's this subtle flip. Um, if, we, if we, as a church, if we go do these things well, reaching lost people even, if we do them well, God will be happy with us. God will be blessed. That's wrong thinking. If we reach lost people, what did we do? We didn't do anything. Jesus is the one who saved all the lost people. God is the one who allowed us to join in his redemptive processes. And so instead of this idea of if we do these things well, grow a church, have success in ministry, reach lost people even, good, good goals, right? Good, well-intentioned goals. If we have that mentality, there's a, slight, there's a slight subtle twist between the idea of if we value and treasure God above all things, then naturally flowing out of that, people are going to hear about Christ. We're going to be talking about Him because we treasure Him. We're going to be explaining to people why our life is different. And we don't have to do that by the way that we dress or the way that we act or the way certain things go. That, 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 the church has tried that for 40 or 50 years. Are we, are we doing good? We're about 10% of America is Christian, maybe. How's that working for us? Moral lists, separation, isolation, doing all these things. We, we've tried it. It's not working real well. And so instead, we value and treasure you above all things, and God's going to save people. So that, that's, a, that's a little bit of a shift. Think for the Old Testament. Does God want people to pray a prayer asking Jesus or God the Father into their heart? Did, did he ever do that in the Old Testament? Does God pointedly define for them? You don't understand this, but these little calves and lambs, it's not really, it, it, it's, it's kind of a waste of time. I'm just kind of like, you know, we've got to get through some thousands of years and stuff. I want to send my son later on, and he's going to die on the cross. You need to know that. He never did that. And even just take some time sometimes. Think through your eschatology, your understanding of salvation for Old Testament people. Just, just think through. Um, does God pointedly reveal the triune God exists in three distinct pers persons? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So what was their understanding? Um, what does God point people to in the Old Testament? Just this idea of trust in Yahweh. Um, there's a clear depiction of God's holiness all through Scripture, book after book. There's a clear depiction of man's sinfulness, a clear depiction of man's need for salvation, and this potential afterlife, this thought of an afterlife being with God eternally, um, and a clear depiction of the idea of a people of God 
a future promised land, but then also a future king, Messiah, that would be with his people, that God would be with his people. In the same way they set up the tent, in the same way they set up the temple, there would be this future land where God's people would be with him. The reward of the people would be God with them. And so how many times does God simply refer to himself as, in the Old Testament, you know me, Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who pulled you out of Egypt. How many times does he say that repeatedly? That's what he wanted them to know. That was his fame name. That, to him, that was enough. He didn't have to keep on going story after story and adding commas. And like, and remember I did this. And remember the, the, the walls of Jericho. And remember this. And remember like he didn't. Do you remember me? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who delivered you out of the land of Egypt. And he was going, that should be enough. Um, we're at an interesting place where, um, with our boys where there's this idea that all the time, the, the people that they're around, we, we want them to understand that. If your reputation is tied to your name, right? So, so you show me who you're hanging out with, you show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. So that gets big when it's it's when they're you know five and six and seven eight nine it's one thing like you can kind of keep them all right in here and there's none of these different things well then it's like well hey can so and so want me to go do this with them so and so want me to go do this oh there's girls and guys oh what's she like what's he like what do their parents do and so um all these questions so you show me your crowd of friends and I can show you what your f- future could look like. And so we're always kind of hitting on them. And, and thankfully, um, with, I've had a couple of dads here, um, the that, that same thing my boys have ran into, and they, those guys have said to them the same thing, like, hey, you're given a name, but you can lose your reputation just in, in, in one quick decision. So that's some powerful things. God was the one who was stating that. God, God, God made that a human understanding, but he wanted the world to know that about him first. This is my reputation. I'm faithful. Remember we made the first covenant and Israel blew it and then he had to do it again? It was like, okay, this time you don't really have, like you're there, but you're, you're not even getting a part of this. I'm doing it all myself. It all is relying upon me. And that wasn't because he had to learn that. It was, he was, it was revealing to us, like you're, you're never going to be able to cut it. You're never going to be able to do it. Um, your name speaks of your reputation. So, yes, Lord, walking in the way of, the tr- of your truth, we wait for you. So let me ask you, are, are you living for your own name or your own ways? Is that the desire of your heart? Maybe that idea of life trajectory, that's what you're living for? Or have you come to that place where you're going, man, God, I desire your will to be what I'm living for. And we all, as Christians, if you've been in the church a little bit, we always think that we're doing that, but then there come these things that fall into our life that really disrupt that. Um, Here's why pausing to consider and contemplate God's greatness, um, not to mention his replenishing goodness to us is so significant. We are just a very prideful, self-sufficient people. We're trained from very young ages to be self-sufficient, to be independent, and to be able to do things just on our own. We're, we're prone to enjoy and take credit for our own wisdom and ability. We're going to see at the end there, um, Arioch, when they ask the question of, you know, um, when, he, when he comes in and says, hey, go tell the king that I'm able to interpret this. Arioch, what does he say? Hello, king. I have found. I've done all this work. I have found. And so we tend to do the same thing as Arioch. Um, we're prone to enjoy and take credit for our own wisdom and ability, forgetting that any intelligence 
or ability or gifting or success, anything that is of beauty, of, uh, of attraction or impressive about us is not because we're better than someone else, but simply is an active evidence of God's grace towards us. So we need rhythms built into our, la- into our days and our weeks where we're mortifying pride and cultivating humility, ascribing praise to God. And so are you someone that's learning how to do that, to mortify pride, to kill pride, and cultivate humility? And one of the easiest ways of doing that is just a natural rhythm of taking the time to pause and ascribe glory to God. So um, let me ask you, what is truly great and deserves glory in your life? What's truly great and deserves glory? Is it your job? Is it your career, your success? Is it your family? Man, very quickly we see, man, all those things are transient. All of that can change. Even the people we look to can, can, can fall. The people we've trusted problems. Our jobs collapse. Our health collapse. God is the, is the one that stays. He's static. He, he doesn't change. He's unchanging. He's faithful. Intentionally learning to install rhythms into your day to take time to ascribe glory and praise to God has the potential to remove pride while at the same time glorifying God. Um, the very fact that we don't have those rhythms set in there is, reveals a lot about our self-sufficiency and our pride. In Isaiah 66, God gives a glimpse of his view. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? And how many pastors or church planters fall into a very big trap of, wait till you see God in five years, the house we're going to build for you. How many people in their lives feel like that, that my success is only showing off what, what God's done for, for me, but really it's all about my track record? How many people get caught up in that? God's saying, what's the house that you would build for me? Are these things, uh, all these things are my hand, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom my eye will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So this speaks of a posture. Are you responsive or defensive when it comes to God's spirit and his word? Are you responsive or defensive? I mean, think through just where we're at, whether it's church or whether it's organizations, whether it's secular or Christian. Are those the qualities and characteristics that grow large, impressive organizations? Humble, contrite in spirit, trembling at God's word. God is watching for those who take the time, for those who don't fall for the the distractions. God's watching for those whose heart actually do treasure him. So, um, Consider where your heart's at with that in matters of, could be church attendance, could be matters of giving, could be matters of how faithful you are on these things. Consider where your heart's at. Do we see how prideful we are to refuse him worship and praise and we just get busy in our Christian works, our Christian busyness, 
and we're, we're floating on a cloud of grace that we, we just take for granted and we assume. Do we see how prideful we are to have hearts that are dull to spiritual things? Do we see how prideful we are to presume upon God's grace, not giving him the praise and, and glory to his name? Um, here's just some practical application. Beginning your day and ending your day. Just think through just beginning of your day and ending your day. Just a, a simple time of pausing, reflecting on Christ and his cross. Maybe the gospel, and maybe it's not like, so I've tried to make it simple, you know, God, man, Christ response. Maybe just in the morning you're going, man, God, I'm amazed at your holiness. It's not, you're, you're covering all four points of the gospel, just one of the points. Maybe it's, you know, 20 minutes in the day and you've already had some sinful thoughts, frustrations, anger, worry, depression, and just going, hey, God, man, the second one, man is sinful. God's holy, man sinful. Man, God, I'm just pausing right now. I, I see my, my sinful flesh, my mind wanting to race ahead and worry, God, I, man, how much I need you. You're so glorious. And here my heart is wanting to pull away in worry and fear and anger, frustration. So um, pause and reflect. Ascribe glory and greatness that is due his name. Uh, it may lead you out of a spiritual depression into enjoying him more and more. And then at the end of each day, just, just pausing, reflecting on the day. Ascribing him glory, appreciation to him, recounting to him his greatness, your fallenness, our proneness to sin, and your amazement and appreciation that he loves you despite how you failed him that day. God, it's amazing to me that you would still love us the way that I've acted today, the way my heart has been, the way my mind has been. What if we became a people characterized by gratefulness and gratitude instead of grumbling. Grumbling is like a spiritual gift in my family. Uh, complaint and grumbling is just like, it's just a competition in my family growing up. So that's a huge one for us. What if we became a people characterized by humble appreciation instead of prideful insecurities? Um, what do you owe God praise for right now? Like Jason asked the question earlier, what would you praise God for? Pausing at the beginning and the end of each day. Uh, maybe maybe that's something that you could do as a family if you're struggling with family devotions. Maybe at, the, at the beginning of the day, starting out with that. At the end of the day, maybe it's just one of those. At the end of the day, we're going to come together three nights, four nights. As a couple, man, we're struggling with this. Hey, we're just going to pause and, and ascribe glory to God. Yeah, we had some bad things that happened today, but what has God done? He's been faithful. Um. Praising, it mortifies and kills the sin of grumbling, grumbling or discontent. And in any year of daily, here's the newest bad news, what would that be like if the church come out of this pandemic as being the ones who were enjoying God and enjoying one another, loving one another out of their overflow of their love for, for God? How would praising God affect your heart and your spiritual life? Um, Notice in verses 21 through 22, he says, He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. So the, the, look at those verbs there. Very specific for um, the writer. 
He changes. He removes. He gives. He reveals. He knows. Here's where we are um, thankful theoretically as Christians. We know we're supposed to be, but we really stink sometimes on the practical level. So theoretically, I have an understanding of God's sovereignty. But in the practical, we struggle. Sometimes it comes out in all kinds of ways. Um, so are you thankful for this truth? He changes times and seasons because Daniel is in the moment of this praise. Think of Daniel's scenario. Think of the original audience knowing Daniel's scenario. Think of Daniel at this point. Death threat. Does Daniel at this point that he's praising God, does he know that he's still not going to get killed? He doesn't. Does he know the rest of the storms that are going to come in the book of Daniel? He doesn't. Did he just get his prayer answered and rescued and taken back to uh, Jerusalem? No. Is he still under all this horrific government and this, this crazy, despot sociopath? Yes. He's still in all those horrible situations, and he's praising God. He's praising him. So he's, and he thinks he changes times and seasons. Well, Daniel... Things haven't changed for the culture. Things haven't changed for the government, the setup, all those things. In fact, it just looks worse. You're still under a death warrant. He removes kings and sets up kings. Think through what that was like. He, that may have been his little kind of prayer. Hey, hey God, you're sovereign. Uh, I know you're the one who sets up kings and you remove kings. Hint, hint. You remove king. Hint, hint. That may be... Or prayer, like sometimes for the different people that get in office, right? We do the same thing. Can we be so thankful that God is in control of things even when it seems like his hands are off the wheel? When it comes to governments and they're working for what we think should be the good and it feels like they're not working for as a representative of the people? So again, here, here's our theoretical. We trust in the sovereignty of God. It comes to the practical. I sure don't like this. Do we know how securing that is, that, that he knows what's in the darkness? Because darkness represents this idea of we don't know what's going to go on. We, we, we don't know what that's going to be like. We, it's fearful. The future's fearful. It's dark. And he goes, he, he knows. You don't. Just like the song we sang earlier, the darkness is, is fearful for us. It's not fearful for God. And he says, light dwells with him. Um. When we, we look at the book of, of Daniel and the times that we're in, um, we, we can see how the theoretical um, gives us securing, but we're not thinking through how it is spoken to and, and how it's communicated to the world around us. Um, our, our joy, our peace, our love, our rest. We, we think inside the church, that, that's good, but... Are we communicating that to, to the people outside the church? Could we be a people that believe that he is sovereign over kings, presidents, governors, senators, government leaders, judges? Judges. We don't have to fall into the culture's practice of slandering people, destroying people who we clearly hate as enemies. And that was one of the things the week that we didn't meet, and I said, hey, hey, check out one of Matt Chandler's sermons. It was, it was on that idea of let's be careful um, the world and lost people, they attack each other and slander and destroy each other. And you pitiful, and if we're not careful, when we don't get our way as Christians, we do the same thing. We just fight the same way. And we think 
man, I don't know why they don't want to love our God. I don't know why they don't want to come to our churches. The lost world sees us picking up the same stones that they like to use. Fighting just like them. Hating just like them. Slandering people just like them. In the same hateful way, yet cloaking it behind this neo-Christian perspective. And how has that worked for the church in America? If I join with the same mode of attack as the world uses, think through the effect that it has on the next generation, our kids inside the church. What they learn is that it's okay to hate and slander as long as the, lo- as long as the people that we're slandering and attacking are lost people and as long as we use Scripture. That's not what we want our kids to learn, is it? This is difficult. This is this, this grace and truth paradox. And hey, guess what? It's not going away in 2021. It's not going away. So, we, so again, theoretically, insider language, yeah, we understand some things. But when we're out among people, man, how do we handle that? What does that look like? This is tension. That's always the tension between um, the lostness, the mission, and the gospel. Taking light into darkness. That's a difficulty. Uh, from the, think through this. Um, lost people, what their thing is, oh, oh, surprise, look, it's another election time or some event that happens. Uh, the Christians are throwing a hissy fit. They didn't get their way. They didn't get their Bible that they believe in applied to all of us. And so, Think through this with me. Just from the beginning, it was not going to be that way. Have you ever really thought about it? It was not ever that way for Old Testament Israel, was it? Every other nation, did they have God's laws? Did they have God's word to them? Not at all. One among hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of nations and languages and peoples and tribes, right? And one, God goes, here you go, Abraham, take this. Live like this. And the, and the way that you treat um, one another, the world will see what a great God that you serve. Old Testament Israel, it was not that way in Daniel's day. It was not the world or the culture that Christ entered into and, and left behind, right? He inaugurated the kingdom of God, but not fully. It was not the world or the culture that Acts or Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians or Timothy or Titus, Thessalonica, um, Hebrews, any other group of people. God sent light into very dark places. It wasn't that way during the, the Roman ruled world for Christians. It was not that way during the Reformation or any of the, the great awakenings, thus, Surprise, a great awakening happened in a very dark spiritual time. And in fact, all those cities, those New Testament books, they were much worse than, than, than Los Angeles or Seattle or New York or whatever. They, they had all kinds of things going on that, that we just don't even understand because we didn't understand that culture. It wasn't that way for any of them. It was not that way um, to this day. And across 85% of the world's population, much of it is still living in complete regimes and persecution in our day. It is not that way at all. But, but for some odd, historically and biblically uninformed, uh, completely arrogant and egocentric reason, the Christian crowd in America since the 60s and 70s have this grand idea that it will be this way for us. 
the Bible will be applied to all these people because a few of our founding fathers were believers. And because they broke ties with England and said, we want religious freedoms instead of being forced to do that. 50, 60 years. The whole time God has said, it's going to be tough for you guys. You're going to be a remnant of a people. And so we don't handle that very well as believers. We don't handle that very well. Um, think if you want to go later on, I'm not going to take the time, but Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Matthew 5, when, when he's going into, I mean, blessed are you when, when you're persecuted for my name's sake. No, I want the laws and the legislation, legislation to stop persecuting me. I want people in government positions that agree with everything I agree about the Bible. That, that's, a, that's a right, that's a perspective, you may not get it. How are you going to handle that? How are we going to handle that? From the beginning, that wasn't the way. And it actually reveals a lot about our eschatology. So we're going to see a little bit of those things. If you have the idea that this idea that um, uh, the belief that we can bring about complete social change, that society is going to be cleaned up better and better and less and less evil, us cleaning away evil and creating kind of this Christian utopia, that's an eschatology. Your view is that, that it's going to get better and better and better. That, that's one view of the end times. You may be frustrated if that doesn't happen. Maybe some people ascribe to that without even knowing it. Uh, do we get that those of us inside the church, never before in the history of four to 5,000 years, did God have it that way? It has always been God's faithful remnant, living for God in the midst of a culture and the government, in a world completely opposed to God. Just like with Daniel, let's up the ante. Think the world's bad? Let's up the ante. Let's see if I can show up. Let's see what I can do. What's he going to do through the church in a setting like ours? We have to be careful not to allow our egocentric American perspective to influence the way that we view Scripture and the way that we view. And this is, this is, this is not anti-American at all. It's pro-God. We're 4% of the world's population. Spend some time with Sujin and let him tell you, him and Pretty, about growing up in Nepal. What being a Christian is like. Talk to any of those people, that, the believers that are in any of the Muslim world, the, the Hindu world, the Buddhist world. We carry ourselves and walk in sometimes such a proud posture. It keeps us from the humble um, recognition that we need to stop and praise God. We don't even realize that we're just walking as really good American Christians. We've been taught to be this way, independent, self-sufficient, instead of a humble perspective of God, we're amazed at what you've done. And again, please don't hear that I'm trying to say uh, you're, you're guilty because you're an American. You're wrong because you're American. Guess what? That was also God's deal. He chose you to be living at this time in this place. He chose your parents. He chose your intelligence level. He chose where you were raised, the influences that were going to He chose all that. But do we respond with a, well, it's your fault, thank God, or do we respond with a, a humility and a love and understanding what that's like? So Daniel prays, to you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. 
and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. And, and so think about this. This is not going to be good for Daniel. He praises God, except what's he praising him for? I've got bad news for the crazy king. He's praising God, giving thanks to God, even though he's got to step into crazy guy and go, hey, your greatest concern about you losing the kingdom, you're going to lose the kingdom. There's going to be four other kingdoms that are going to come in. We're going to see that next week, what the statue represents, these four kingdoms that are coming, this rock, that, what that represents. And he's going in with bad news. And yet, Daniel, I'm going to praise you. Oh, God of my fathers. He's connecting to Old Testament Israel's idea of his, his uh, faithful covenant keeping with them. Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy, the wise men of Babylon. And he went in and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. And so notice, notice the prayer that, that gets answers. He goes in and says, um, Would you allow me to talk to the king? And then notice the wording there. I have found among the exiles from Judah. So Arioch plays out this whole robust, I'm the one that did this. And so again, the author is playing on that. God is playing on this. Just our self-sufficiency and our idolatry of self. I'm the one who did this. And notice the wording right below it. Are you able to make known? So God is allowing this to be brought out, even just in the wording here. Arioch's proud... Um, stance and then are you really able to do this and then notice daniel's posture no it's not me there's nothing about me no man would be able to do this but notice what he ends with there is a god in heaven so just like with chapter one just like with chapter two we're seeing he is trying to proclaim clearly this is about this god in heaven god wants us to see he's the one who may allow difficult times to come but he's the one who brings redemption and hope. It's a beautiful picture um, that we'll continue to see. God gave a dream. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar gave threats. God gave a dream. Nebuchadnezzar gives threats. Daniel and the boys pray for mercy. God gives revelation. God is working all things for his glory, his renown, which also works out for our very best. Maybe not in this life. That's easy for me to say that in, in Tulsa. What if we were in the Middle East? God's working all things for his glory and for your good, your eventual best. But it may be rough this year. It may be rough the next 10 years. We get him for all eternity. So, um, think through, are we setting aside times to ascribe glory to God? Is it, whether it's at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, just to pause and to give time for praise. Has God done some things in your life this week to where we should be a people that are just have, have lots of things to praise God for, lots of things to be thankful for? Are you aware of those things, or do we just skip over them as believers? Do the people around your life, do they hear you praising God for those things? And you don't have to do it in a weird um, Christianese way where every word is blessed and you're trying to use this Christianese language that just kind of makes you odd where the whole office kind of just like walks away and like that, they just think you're an alien in a weird way. And you're thinking, oh yeah, we're supposed to be alien strangers. Well, they didn't treat Jesus that way. Like he was invited to all the places. He didn't use weird language that just, you know, that, that, that separated him from all the people. 
that he's sure loving around those people. And so think through what that looks like. Are you a people that are praising him, giving him, ascribing him glory? Um, are we the type of place where, where that would be evident? I'm going to give us a few minutes just to pray and respond. Um, maybe just asking, um, God, are there some things that, man, I, I, I've just looked over. I'm taking for granted. Um, whether that's um, what you've done with our family, just blessing us, protecting us. We haven't lost one person to death from COVID. I've got three pastor friends here in Tulsa. He says every Sunday, it's two more people that have died in our church here in Tulsa. Churches shutting down in different parts. God has been very graceful to us in this area. Does that mean we're better because we live in Oklahoma? Smarter? More spiritual? Not at all. So we have a lot to be thankful for. I'm going to give you some time to pray, and then we'll move into the Lord's Supper. 